Oh, my <laughs> the recording message changes every single time. I don't know. They're doing lots of little updates on it, throwing me off. Um, so as we get started off, I always am the chart person, right? <laughs> so um, this section on suffering and salvation is kind of the the whole crux of Isaiah. This is where it crescendos uh, to its apex. And um, like all of these sections, it's divided into two parts. The first unit is all about temporal salvation versus the second unit that dives into the spiritual salvation aspect. Uh, the first unit has a reversal of circumstances versus the second unit that talks about the ideal agents of salvation. So Jehovah, the seraphim, and the sun servant levels of the latter that uh, offer themselves up as, as proxies. And then the first unit uh, talks about the tale of two cities and the five songs of salvation that follow distress. And then the second unit uh, heavily dives into and explains the need for salvation or a need for a savior and, and multiple saviors at that. So um, there's kind of the, the idea of uh, what we're, we're tackling in the next two weeks. Uh, this week is, is focused in that, that temporal uh, versus next week that'll uh, heavily go into the, the spiritual aspect of things. Um, next week is, is going to be some of the, the most often quoted scriptures of Isaiah uh, dealing with uh, Jesus Christ and, and his mission there. Um, anything, any, oh, anybody have anything that was exciting or, or new to them uh, through this uh, block of scripture that, that you read for this week? Um, if you had time to, to read this week, I know it's been a busy one. This summer's kind of a, a hectic schedule, but um, any insightful things any um uh, thing that you want to share before we kind of dive in i i just loved uh the last two chapters that we did that 48 and 49 they were uh -huh. just they were just so beautiful and uplifting to me i i just enjoyed those probably more than any other chapters that we've done so far right. <laughs> yeah yep yeah exactly Thank you. Um, so let's, where do I want to go with this? Okay, let, let's first off go to the, the literary message of Isaiah. There's a, a couple sentences here that are, I want us to kind of to ponder before we actually dive into the, the reading here. So it talks about this suffering and salvation section. This part illustrates the nature of suffering and salvation. So the nature of it, states that while all suffering involves enduring covenantal maldiction, some suffering is punitive and other suffering redemptive, begetting salvation. So what does that mean? How do we put that into English, into layman's terms? What does it mean that all suffering involves enduring covenantal maldiction? So what is maldiction? And, and how does suffering involve covenantal malediction any thoughts and, and it doesn't have to be right or wrong or anything <laughs> just what does uh that that look like to you hmm. that's a, a stumper right i had to look up each one of those words individually and like okay mal means bad mean? so bad diction 
Uh-huh. Yeah, something like like a curse that that is being spoken. Yeah. So all suffering involves enduring covenantal curses. That was a, a new thing for me as I was uh, studying throughout Isaiah decoded kind of uh, hints at that idea. But but here's where it uh, came out uh, really strong to me that all suffering, all infirmities and maladies and, and things that we suffer here in this life are because a covenant was broken, either our own, somebody else's, um, any suffering uh, comes from that. Um, and so the, the next part of the phrase talks and says that some suffering is punitive and other suffering is redemptive, meaning that it begets salvation or protection or deliverance of, of some sort. And so, um, well, how do you think that uh, we see that today? How some suffering is punitive and some suffering is is redemptive. Do you do you see that in the world around you? Do you see that in our church, uh, in the lives of, of family members? I just want to say I want a book that tells us what maladies go with what covenant broken <laughs> and what, wouldn't that be like you know like you have like the antihistamines and you have a cold because your body's you know and it lets you know that you've got allergies but then there's other things that happen and you don't know why and you're yeah. like okay i know that my allergies are flaring up but enough already and <laughs> i don't know and sometimes you don't know why things are happening you can't find the reason it's mm -hmm your body's letting you know that something's not working. Well, it's the same way with breaking the covenants, right? I think that's with your spirit being out of alignment with your, you know, your body being out of alignment with your spirit. And you have these things, but it's really hard to fix them. Like take your hand off the stove, you know, if you don't know what's causing it. So it sure would be nice to have a little book it puts all those <laughs> together so you can look it up and say what am i doing wrong because i really think i mean there are some times when people break those covenants on purpose mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of times when we don't realize we're doing it or we have a misconception like oh i'm not gossiping you know but you don't really realize that you are and yeah. so you suffer that malady. So how can you fix it if you don't, if you don't know? Mm -hmm. don't yeah. Know. Sometimes so even nice. realizing that there's a problem is the first step. And, and that might be the hardest one to overcome. I know it's like, um, how is it? DNC 8210. I, the Lord am bound when you do what I say. And when you do not, what I say, you have no promise. And, you know, you always hear, if you want the promise, you got to do what, you know, find out what goes. And it's like, well, that doesn't always, it's not always that easy. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the, the big quest of life to <laughs> get those all charted out and figured out for, for yourself and how you've experienced them and uh, how to, to work that. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, we do, we, we do break those covenants and, and you see it in the world. For instance, my son, he just has so much depression and he, you know, he thinks he's living his best life, but he's left the church and yet he has all this depression and anxiety and he keeps 
And it's like, oh my gosh, it's just that your body is so out of alignment with your spirit and your spirit's going, stop. And I can't tell him that. I just, so we just pray, help him to be uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> enough that, they, that he starts to search and find out what's going on and gets led back to the savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It just kind of reminded me about, um, I, I've been listening to um, the talk, the Why the Covenant Path by Elder Christofferson, because I have to teach that in Relief Society next time. <laughs> but, but he talks about the, you know, tennis and the unforced errors and mm. that how that relates to our life and, you know, the, just the things that happen to us and, and, you know, not, not necessarily that we try, that we do things to bring them on, but just, he talks about keeping the covenants and just by keeping the covenants, we can avoid a lot of those unforced errors in our lives. Um, you know, addiction, that type of thing, many things, just by keeping the covenants, we can, it's a lot easier to stay on the covenant path. So anyway, mm -hmm. that just reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, that talk, but it fits in perfectly with, with that, uh, that unforced errors and, and the, the tennis analogies and, and things there are, are very key into it. I'm gonna have to go back and, and read that tonight. Yeah, it's really good talk. I felt like when I was a young woman, everything was taught black and white. And I just thought when I was an adult, everything would just, you know, and it's harder because there's so much that feels like it's gray and you don't know how to handle situations. Like what's the right way? I don't want to enable this person, but I want to show love. And so what's the right way? And then, you know, there's just so much that's gray and that's not always easy to figure out. Mm -hmm. I just used enabling as an example, right? But mm -hmm. there's lots of things like that that feel like it's gray. Like, what's the right thing to do? Yeah, exactly. And um, this next part, uh, this next sentence really uh, plays into that. I have some good questions. So it says that um, both types of suffering intensify prior to Jehovah's coming to reign on the earth. So both punitive suffering and redemptive suffering intensify. And when they do, um, at that time, Jehovah manifests his salvation in Zion. And so in the end, uh, it, it, like in the last of the last days, uh, when both types of suffering intensify, I think we're, we're starting to see that, um, that gray that you're talking about there, where it's like, wow, it's not as easy to um, uh, distinguish some things, yet um, we are seeing a definite amp up of suffering, uh, both punitive and redemptive. And, and how do we navigate that? It's, it's not something that uh, is taught uh, so clearly anymore. And, and um, but at that time, here's, here's the promise that Jehovah manifests his salvation in Zion. So the true church, the um, the, the covenant body will start seeing how Jehovah manifests salvation in that. And I think that that's a, a huge promise here and we'll see it, you know, hugely next week. 
um, as we tar- start talking about the, the spiritual salvation side of things. Um, but we're also going to see some of it here in the temporal salvation um, that happens in, in these first few chapters, 24 through 27. Um, so yeah, any, any questions or comments, uh, before we like actually dive into chapter 24, um, I would like to, I have a comment, um, Cameron, um, and it kind of goes with Athena's, um, her comment. Um, my daughter Libby and I have been talking about that a lot lately. Like you hear all the time about how you have to have boundaries and when you're helping people, you have to have boundaries. And I'm thinking is our boundaries an eternal principle? Because I'll say, well, because boundaries are not one of my strong points. Like, I don't know. I'm not the best at boundaries. I'm getting better. But then I'm wondering, is our boundaries eternal? Is that an eternal principle? Sorry, I'm outside if you can hear cars. Um, I'm watering. I have to water before I can go to it. Be done. Anyway, um, are, you know, is it like, oh, we serve people, but oh, but not that far. Like, is the covenant, like, you give everything? Or are there like is it boundaries an eternal? Is that an eternal principle? I don't. I think it's. I think uh-huh. that goes along with enabling, right? Uh-huh. Like you give, but you can't. I don't know. You can't give too much. Yeah, In because like there's. Instances, that principle, I mean, we definitely want to give and we want to consecrate and we want to be good stewards and, and help other people, you know, like you can teach a person how to fish or you can just give them the fish, but then, you know, that enabling factor that comes in. Um, but, but setting up boundaries that hit me also this week, I was listening to some video or whatever. And, um, it, it was a question of, uh, I forget what the, the original wording was, but something along the lines of what was something that uh, changed your life that finally clicked and, and you're able to improve your life a lot. And one of the ladies' responses was, I learned how to say no. It's okay to say no and uh, because you don't have time and all this kind of stuff and, and I'm not stressed out anymore and, and stuff. And I thought, okay, there, I think that there's truths in this and then there's also some like, some lies that satan can can that's what i think that's what i think i don't i don't really know if boundaries are eternal eternal principle i agree Uh with the enabling part but i don't people tried to show me the savior is has boundaries but i don't see it i can't i can't place it where i see it i see where he went to the mountains and would rest or whatever but i don't see I don't, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet, but it kind of goes with the same subject, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Libby puts in the chat here, so much of the self-health stuff, self-health, <laughs> I'm getting tongue-tied, sorry. Self-help stuff is amazing, but also some of it is quite selfish. And yeah, I, I think there's, it's a way easy thing for truth to be mingled with some precepts. You know, like some of it is, is great because we need some of those things in order to push past some of our difficulties or some of our suffering. But at the same time, Satan can easily get in there and twist just a couple details to make it a, a selfish principle kind of thing. I, I totally agree there. Yeah, yeah I have a lady I've been ministering to 
since June and she's in a facility and she just moved to our ward and she's super bossy and nothing's ever good enough. And like the first time I went there, she has people that are supposed to be helping her with her cats. And she's like, well, you need to go clean the kitty litter. And she's just going off on me. And I'm like, trying to just bite my tongue. Like I'm here to help you, but not like this. And so anyway, I'm like, Oh, heavenly father knows I need to learn this because I work with special needs kids and, and she's like a special needs adult. Like if I do a whole bunch of this stuff, I'm just teaching her to be more disabled and, and more bossy. And I have really struggled ministering to her. She's just, I got a new companion and she works with senior disabled. And so she's taught me a whole bunch, but boy, it's really challenged me to be not to like, I have to just bite my tongue when I'm around her. Cause some of it's like kind of bossy back. Uh-huh. <laughs> she'll, also, she'll also like go to her old word and tattle how awful we're doing ministering to her. And it's like, there's <laughs> just no way to win. <laughs> so I don't know. But that's like such a perfect example that like that's the ultimate example right there. At what point do you say, well, this isn't comfortable for me. And I think this is too much ministry. Like, I I don't know. I'm trying to really figure that part out. Mm -hmm. Kathy, I'm also the first thing when you met said is boundaries eternal. The first thing that came to my mind was the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and Satan and the Lord had boundaries and he told Satan. That's true. That's true. He did give boundaries. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that really the only place we really see boundaries with with the Savior is with the adversary, you know, with Satan and with being, you know, tempted to to you know do things that are that are wrong and not so much ministering to the poor and needy. But, you know, with sin is where we see the boundaries. So interesting. Well, and also with marriage, you, you know, you are to, to, you know, follow your husband if he's in righteousness. That's a boundary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is such an interesting discussion. I, I didn't know that that's where Isaiah was taking us. But like, this is uh, interesting things that I haven't thought about, really. Like some of these boundaries are... Um, great principles to um i don't know it seems like there's a lot there a lot of my scripture study is going to go to that there's, this next there's a ton there but do we really have to clean out litter boxes like we just really need to know that <laughs> and my bishop said no because that's like part of her contract with their living center but she she gets she has like 10 of us going and then she's like saying none of us are going and i'm like oh dear i don't know (laughs) i just keep going back and just trying to do a good job (laughs) good job i don't know so i i kind of think that the old testament is filled with boundaries and the new testament teaches us to live by the spirit and to let the spirit guide us as for what to do Mm -hmm. yeah Thank you. We have a son, the same son, who defaulted on three student loans and then called us and asked us if we would co-sign so he could go back to school. And it was like, no, no. (laughs) 
No, we can't, you know, that was a boundary we had to set. I guess, I guess defaulting on loans in a way is not being honest. So it's sinning, but you know, we didn't look at it that way. We just looked at it like you don't, you know, you don't have a desire to pay anyone back and we can't, we can't do that. And so just like with your kitty litter box, it's kind of the same thing, you know, like this expectation from people to jump in and help. And it's like, no, we can't. Mm -hmm. thank you yeah. um, jamie here in person had a comment sorry i just think that when you go minister to someone that treats you poorly you can provide the service <coughs> but you create a boundary when you don't take that personally just like christ he was in conflict a lot in his life but he knew his identity so he didn't he had a boundary and the boundary was i'm not going to take this into my soul and go home and ruin my life over it mm -hmm. because he knew who he was and that is a boundary. gotcha and y'all heard that well, just, yeah that was good in the kitty letter box <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't asked me again <laughs> i'm wondering too the thought came to me you know we i talked about boundaries with sin but what about boundaries with things that that people can do for themselves that they refuse to do for themselves that's exactly it mm -hmm. so. yeah interesting so but that's like, that enabling right yeah and the lord said that he doesn't like idle people true yeah and so there's there's some aspect of setting boundaries with sin versus just setting boundaries for learning purposes, you know, like with our kids, like obviously you have to send, set some boundaries uh, along the lines in, you know, bedtimes, curfews, all of those different kinds of things um, for, for teaching. But at, when it crosses into kind of a, a sin or, or transgression or whatever you have it, where it's starting to affect other people, other people's agencies, etc., you know, there, that, that's an interesting, uh, another way to um, uh, see it from a different angle, the, that those purposes of boundaries or um, how we, um, like Jamie said, you know, choose to, to let it affect us or, or just let it kind of bounce off and uh, not internalize uh, some of those things. Interesting. Anyway. <laughs> now, I have a question. How about a New Testament story when the woman was brought before Christ and he said, basically, you know, he without sin, you know, let him cast it for stone, right? And isn't that kind of setting a boundary? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, he said, look, you may think you want to judge her, but, you know, let's look at your soul first, yourself first before you start on that road mm -hmm. yeah uh, that's another great example there <laughs> like i said i'm gonna have to do a lot of different uh, studies this on on different scriptures and different examples of when boundaries were set and when some weren't or uh, how all that works uh, that's a new principle for me that i haven't ever really taken time to, to just dive learning into. about the Before different back. kind of servants sorry can i talk or is it okay go up? ahead 
No, go ahead. I'm just learning about the different servants has really brought that into my mind and made me um, kind of really analyze this, the service that I render. Anyway, that's why I brought it up. Mm -hmm. Yes, good. All right, well, let's head into Isaiah chapter 24. Um, here we have, uh, like I said uh, before, uh, this week is about temporal salvation. Uh, we're going to be seeing a tale of two cities, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, the saying, there's, they're saved, but two churches only, right? So we have the, the archetype of the city Babylon and the city Zion being compared and contrasted what happens in the end times and everything that we've studied thus far uh, ruin and rebirth rebellion and compliance punishment and deliverance humiliation and exaltation are all prerequisites to understanding why why things are happening the way they are in these chapters so as we dive in um just kind of think about the, the ruin and rebirth is a, is a huge principle here that everything gets flipped in the end times uh, what was good is bad, and what was bad is good. Um, so as we read through this, uh, I'm pulling up the Isaiah Explained here. So we have the King James on the left, and I'm going to read the Isaiah Institute translation on the, uh, did I say left, right? Anyway, it's on the screen. <laughs> um, so here in uh, chapter 24, Lo, Jehovah will lay waste to earth and empty it. He will disfigure its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be with priest as with people, with master as with servant, with mistress as with maid, with seller as with buyer, with borrower as with lender, with debtor as with creditor. When the earth is sacked, it shall be utterly ravaged. Jehovah has given word concerning it. The earth shall pine away, the world miserably perish, the elite of the earth shall be made wretched. The earth lies polluted under its inhabitants, they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, and set at naught the ancient covenant. The curse devours the earth, for those who dwell on it have incurred guilt. Because of it, the population of the earth shall be diminished, and little of mankind remain. The new wine withers on languishing vines, making all the lighthearted lament. The rhythm of drums ceases, the revelers' dins stop, and the pulsating of lyres comes to an end. Men no longer drink wine amid strong, uh, yeah, amid song. Liquor has turned bitter to drinkers. The towns of disorder are broken up. All houses are shuttered that none may enter. Outside has heard the clamor for wine, though all joy has become gloom, the earth's vitality is gone. Havoc remains in the city, the gates lie battered to ruin. Then shall it happen in the earth among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten, or as grapes are gleaned when the vintage is ended. Then will these lift up their voices and shout for joy, and those from across the sea exult at Jehovah's ingenuity. Because of it, they will give glory to Jehovah in the regions of sunrise and in the isles of the sea to the name of Jehovah, the God of Israel. From a sector of the earth, we hear singing, glorious are the righteous, whereas I thought I am wasting away. I am weakening. Woe is me. The traitors have become treacherous. The turncoats have deceitfully betrayed. Terrors and pitfalls and traps await you, O inhabitants of the earth. Those who flee at the sound of terror shall fall into a pit, and those who get up from the pit shall be caught in a trap. 
For when the windows on high are open, the earth shall shake to its foundations. The earth shall be crushed and rent, and the earth shall break up and cave in, and the earth shall convulse and lurch. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, sway back and forth like a shanty, its transgressions weighing it down. And when it collapses, it shall rise no more. In that day will Jehovah deal on high with the hosts on high and on earth with the rulers of the earth. They shall be herded together like prisoners to a dungeon and shut in confinement many days as punishment. The moon will blush and the sun be put to shame when Jehovah of hosts manifests his reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory in the presence of his elders. So is that... What's my question? Does that sound like familiar with any other prophecies that you've heard of? Um, what does that look like? Uh, is that something that we're going to have to go through? Um, who is it talking about here? What are all your thoughts? I don't know, but that verse 12 and 13, go back to that. 11, 12, well, and 13. Yep. 11, 12, and 13. Well, all of that. Okay, go up. Go up just a little bit more. Right there, 10. Oh, yes. I remember that one. Order are broken up. All houses are shuttered that none may enter. Does that sound familiar? Outside <laughs> has heard the clamor for wine, though all joy has become gloom. Havoc remains in the city. Boy, did we experience all that last year? And yet, I think that was just the beginning. I'm thinking it's going to get worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for I, sure. I, I thought when I read that, I'm like, I need to go buy some plywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, actually I've got my I actually told my husband that uh the beginning of last year and now i wish we had because it's too expensive to buy now <laughs> yeah we can't even <laughs> lock ourselves in because the plywood was too expensive yeah if you can find it <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Under> oregon <laughs> we have it i live by a lot of mills <laughs> yeah sweet so um, I, was, I was listening to some podcasts this week about DNC talking about the earth. And I thought it was so interesting because often we don't think about the earth itself. But as you look at what they call major earthquake 6.0 and above, right. where they used to have just two a month, there's like 30 a month now right. around the world. And it's amazing how the earth is starting to... I don't know if you would say push back, but starting to complain about what's going on. And this to and fro, I remember being in a class with uh, Hugh Nibley and him talking about that. And it's amazing, you know, you know, this whole chapter, when you read the preface to it, talks about the second coming. They shall be burned and the earth shall reel to and fro and, and that sort of thing. And, and you know, there, this whole thing's talking about our time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I always picture um, the earth like a dog or a horse that's got a fly on it or a flea <laughs> and just kind of moving and shaking and like <laughs> tolerates it for a little bit. And then the shaking gets worse and worse. And maybe like you shake a little bit and then the fly leaves or the flea leaves and but then it comes back again and you shake harder. And I just think that's what the earth is doing. She's so tired of us. And it's like, just get off of me. You're such a nuisance. I can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love that imagery. And, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the first, that all suffering, so even the earth is suffering because of covenantal curses, because covenants are being broken. And then I love that, that imagery, <laughs> shaking it off like that, yeah. Um, if anybody's uh, read or listened to uh, John Taylor's vision uh, of the end time kind of thing, it, this chapter is almost like... Uh, not verbatim, because that's not word for word, but like uh, principle for principle, kind of out of uh, John Taylor's vision there. Um, we'll see that as we go through Triumph of Zion, it's quoted in there. Um, but uh, anyway, it's interesting. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to uh, go look at that. It's definitely Isaiah 24. But now let's go to the next chapter, because that's a little bit more exciting. Um, so 25, can I have a volunteer to read? Uh, it's 12 verses long. So I, <laughs> I left you the small, short one. <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Make it big enough for me. <laughs> Thanks. In that day, you will say, Oh, Jehovah, you are my God. I will extol you by praising your name for with perfect faithfulness. You have performed wonders, things planned of old. You have made the city a heap of rubble, fortified towns are ruined. Heathen mansions shall no more form cities, nor ever be rebuilt. For this will powerful peoples revere you. A community of tyran tyrannous nations fear you. You were a refugee for the poor, a shelter for the needy in distress. A covert from the downpour and shade from the heat. When the blasts of tyrants beat down like torrents against a wall. Or like scorching heat in the desert, you quelled the onslaughts of the heathen. As burning heat by the shade of a cloud, you subdued the power of tyrants. In this mountain will Jehovah of hosts prepare a sumptuous feast for all peoples, a feast of leavened cakes, succulent and delectable, of matured wines well refined. In this mountain he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples, the shroud that shrouds all nations by abolishing death forever. My Lord Jehovah will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from throughout the earth. Jehovah has spoken it in that day. You will say, this is our God whom we expected would save us. This is Jehovah for whom we have waited. Let us joyfully celebrate his salvation. For in this mountain rests the hand of Jehovah, and under him Moab shall be trampled down as straw is trampled in a dung pit. For when he stretches his hands into the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands to swim, he will pull down his pride in the attempt. Your highly walled fortifications he will lay low by raising them to the ground, even with the dust. All right. So any comments or thoughts there? Go back to verse seven. I think it was, I can't remember what I was thinking about that verse. Yeah, I should just leave that on the screen. That. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. The veil that veils all people. It yeah. sounds like we have the veil on, not the savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting there. The veil that veils all peoples, the shroud that shrouds all nations. Yeah. It's almost like as you go to that temple, 
the veil we're parting is not the Lord's veil, but our veil that hides mm -hmm. us from him. I don't know. What do you guys think? Or is it even that big of a deal? It's just, I've looked at, I've, I actually did a study about veils one time and looked, not a super deep one, but sometimes it seems like we're the ones with the veils on. Like we have scales on our eyes and we just can't see it. Yeah, it seems like there's some reference to it in ether. It's been a few years, so I'm not not really clear on it, but yeah, I think sometimes it's us that have the veil, not the Lord. I don't know. So like if we look at the the imagery in the temple, for example, the the men represent Jehovah and the women represent the bride. And so the, the bride is the one with the veil on uh, kind of a thing. Uh, that, that imagery there, I, I, I like what you're saying. Uh, uh, interesting how um, the, the veils keep us from, from seeing things that we're not ready for. Or, um, you know, like the brother of Jared example from, from Ether, uh, where because he had such faith, he was able to part the veil and and his request granted kind of thing uh yeah interesting and, and how that plays into this of um verse seven here the veil that veils all peoples the shroud that shrouds all nations i know yeah. in one of in one of jody's videos she um she was describing veils that they veil things that are very powerful and then when, when they're unveiled, then it shows their power. So I wonder if that, um, that. Yeah, kind of like the Moses principle there, right? Like right. Moses came down from Sinai with a veil over his face so that his glory wouldn't um, harm yeah. the people. Mm -hmm. That so, reminds me. Go ahead. Oh, so, you know, so when the, oh, put that back up there. <laughs> <laughs> So when he destroys the veil that veils all peoples, I wonder if that unveils the power of the people, the priesthood power that we have as people. I don't know. It's just a thought I had. Yeah. Well, I was just watching a podcast last night. It was um, Hear Him, and it was Dr. Anthony Sweat. It was the second half of the interview or the lesson, and he did the most wonderful lesson on DNC 88 with the temple. I mean, there was a lot of the other podcasts have talked about other aspects, but he was talking about the verses in 88. It was like starting, I think, at 131, somewhere around in there, where teaching about the power in the temple in another way that, gosh, I had never heard so if you if you guys are interested that was just really good yeah. it's it's a really long it's like two parts so it's a two-hour deal mm -hmm. yeah anthony sweat's one of my favorites as far as like temple so good. and, and yeah. some of those early church history kind of things there uh, amazing stuff uh there's the little pamphlet of his it's called the holy invitation i encourage anyone to to read it it's so good about uh just our endowment uh, and getting more out of it there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to, I, I started watching it, but then, I, you know, life hit today and I didn't yeah, get to finish. Long. But, 
Yeah. I, I need I'll, to put, I'll go find a link for us, maybe if I can. Mm -hmm. I'm really yeah. slow on my computer. But yeah, and Anthony Sweat's interview with I don't I can't remember what the name of the podcast is or whatever, but um it's with like Gil and Condi. Um, anyway, that interview is a, a really good one as well. Our um, if you just do our turtle house on YouTube, it comes up. And then you just you go to that channel and then look for that one and you'll find it. That's how we find it. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, super great. Um, anything else on, on chapter 25 there? If not, we will go to um, 26. All right, so this one has 21 verses. Any volunteers for a big long section? <laughs> and it's just, I just found it. It's an ether 12 about the veil. There's different uses okay. of the word veil. And it's just interesting, like being kept within the veil or without the veil. It's just interesting. Yeah. I, you know, those prepositions are, are really important there, you know, whether it's within, without, and, and kind of placing ourselves in that story, in that narrative there. Yeah. Um, all right. So chapter 26, um, we're going to be talking about how the righteous survive the earth's desolation while others resurrect. So here it says, in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Our city is strong. Salvation he has set up his walls and barricades. Open the gates to let in the nation. Righteous because, uh, let's see. To let in the nation righteous because it keeps faith. Those whose minds are steadfast, O Jehovah, you preserve in perfect peace. For you, uh, for in you they are secure. Ever trust in Jehovah, for Jehovah, Yah, is an everlasting rock. He has put down the elite inhabitants of the exalted city by casting it to the ground, laying it even with the dust. It is trodden underfoot by the feet of the poor, by the footsteps of those impoverished. The path of the righteous is straight. You pave an undeviating course for the upright. In the very passage of your ordinances, we anticipate you, O Jehovah. The soul's desire is to contemplate your name. My soul yearns for you in the night. At daybreak, my spirit within me seeks after you. For when your ordinances are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Through favor be shown the wicked, they will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, they remain perverse and see not the glory of Jehovah. I just oh, Jehovah. That. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Is that a boundary in verse 10? <laughs> Though favor be shown the wicked, they will not learn righteousness. So there's a point where you have to set a boundary because it's not going to change. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't even looking for boundaries. <laughs> I wasn't looking yeah. either, but when I saw that, it just jumped You're out. Looking. Yeah, it's right there. Um, and then how do they learn the righteousness? Go up to verse nine. For when your ordinances are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. So they don't learn it through favor. They learn it through the ordinances. Or we all do, not they, but we all do. Yeah. And that's how and we right kind of comparing that to like dnc the um oh goodness it all of a sudden just left me um the power is in the ordinances thereof the power of godliness is made manifest it's kind of that, that same principle there 
Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, you're good. O Jehovah, your hand is lifted up, but they perceive it not. Let them perceive with dismay your zeal for the people. When the fire prepared, yeah, when the fire prepared for your enemies consumes them. O Jehovah, you bring about our peace. Even all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. O Jehovah, our God, lords other than you have ruled over us, but you alone we recall by name. They are dead to live no more. Spirits who will not raise up, you appoint them to destruction, wiping out all recollection of them. You have enlarged the nation, O Jehovah, and by enlarging it, gained glory for yourself. You have withdrawn all borders in the earth. O Jehovah, in their distress, they remembered you. They poured out silent prayers when your chastisements were upon them. As a woman about to give birth cries out from the pains during her labor, so were we at your presence, O Jehovah. We were with child, we have been in labor, but have brought forth only wind. We have not wrought salvation in the earth that the inhabitants of the world might not fall. Yet shall your dead live when their bodies arise. You will say to them, awake and sing for joy. Who You who abide in the dust, your dew is the dew of the sunrise for the earth shall cast up its dead. Come, O my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself a little while until the wrath has passed. For now will Jehovah come out of his dwelling place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquities. To the earth will uncover the blood shed upon it and no more conceal its slain. Yeah. So what comments and, and things stood out to you in that chapter? Well, I already said mine. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Is um, it uh, 20 to Passover again? Yeah, so enter your chamber, shut the doors behind you, hide yourself a little while until the wrath is passed. Yeah, the destroying angel motif there. Yeah. So in verse 9, that really intrigues me. What, what do you think he's talking about when he says your ordinances? Uh, yeah, so for when your ordinances are on the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. It's interesting because this is translated differently in the King James here. Um, it says, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. I, I think that that's an interesting uh, kind of pairing. Uh, judgments and ordinances seem uh, very different, but uh, I don't know. Uh, what is everyone's thoughts on that? I think it sounds kinder the way that we just read it, not in <laughs> not in our James version. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to the. Um, it sounds like he's giving us something. He's reaching his hand out to help us, where the judgments are taking his hand away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one doesn't have a lot. Let's see if the apocalyptic commentary has some on that. Twenty-three and twenty-six, right? Verse nine. Okay, so his commentary here. Let's see if it has anything in there. Um, says Jehovah's ordinances serve as a channel to the soul or spirit who yearns for Him and seeks after Him night and day. Jehovah's raising 
up his end time servant, uh, known as his righteousness in this verse, accelerate his people's preparation throughout the earth for Jehovah's anticipated coming. So I think that that's interesting. Kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning, when both types of suffering intensify prior to Jehovah's second coming, at that time, Jehovah manifests his salvation or his righteousness in Zion. So that's when the Davidic uh, servant, the end time servant, um, uh, accelerates the people's preparation in Zion. Uh, and then we start seeing the, the two sufferings uh, really ramp up there. That's interesting. Yeah, but what do you think that means? Accelerates his people's preparation. How? Through uh, ordinances? So through through how <laughs> great question what what do y'all say on that one I'm gonna take a second to even digest that so this doesn't necessarily go with that question but it just makes me think um i did an endowment session yesterday and there's it, it was funny to catch the little like disclaimer at the beginning of the session Mm -hmm. Or they just basically say, like, you know, the ordinances are what prepare you to become the kings and queens, um, you know, something like that. Um, but this is, but that does not make you that now. That just makes it possible for you. So that connection between ordinances and the judgments, um, I don't know, that's kind of what stuck out to me is. We have those ordinances in place, but the judgments still have to come to make that sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that before we can uh, move up the, the ladder or assume uh, different uh, missions kind of thing, that we have a descent phase, that the judgments come, suffering happens, uh, and some of that redemptive suffering kind of principle. Uh, how that kind of plays into to all of this. Okay. I like what Libby said. One of the things that I thought about when I, when I read this was the temple and try to go back in the history of the world and, you know, the Herodian, the David, David Davidic temple and, and of course the tabernacle and then the temples in our time period and and it's amazing. I mean, here in Utah Valley, we have what five temples now, basically, where we're equal to Salt Lake Valley now. And you can go up in the mountains and see more temples with the naked eye than uh, at one time than any other place in the world. And look at all the incredible wickedness that's going on at the same time. And it's, it just seems to me that all these ordinances that we're learning, and if we correlate that with the temple if you know and your temple going people then you tend to be a more righteous people mm -hmm. just just a thought yeah interesting i i, I love that that pairing there uh, the judgments versus the ordinances and uh, kind of comparing those two translations side by side uh, kind of brought some interesting stuff there um, and yet, so, how many of us, like during COVID, we weren't able to go to the temple, and yet just holding church in our home, I just felt so 
much more empowered. I don't want to say more empowered than when I go to the temple, but I felt like there was an added measure given to us because the temples were closed, maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, some there, opportunities there. There was just more sacredness, just more, I don't know. It was, I, I really liked it. It was really cool. Anyway. Yeah, I totally agree. I think during COVID, when we were able to do that, it was bringing, and it's amazing how the prophet, you know, prepared us for all of this, right? And knew that this is one of the ways to fight against uh, not being able to go to church, to be able to do this, to bring the gospel really center in the family at home. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's a way of being prepared, right? That, that the scripture was talking about. Yeah, because we're supposed to prepare, uh, prepare our homes as sanctuaries of faith. Uh, prior to COVID, prior to, uh, to any of that, when President Nielsen starts coming out and, and saying to, to make our homes holy places, etc., I, I don't know, this, I'm paraphrasing from a couple different people that I had talked to. They're like, yeah, but, you know, there's no way to do that in my home. We have teenagers. We have, you know, my husband's still watching uh, some sports or whatever, or, you know, like, oh, it, it's great for everyone else, but my home really can't have that. But, but look at during COVID, how that was kind of shown to us, like, no, wait, you can partake of ordinances in your home uh, during that kind of a circumstance. And, and it showed quite a few people that it's possible. We can, we can make our home sanctuaries of faith. It was actually a, a huge blessing to uh, uh, kind of prepare our minds and our hearts that way, uh, that it's not impossible when, when the prophet speaks and uh, through, um, through that counsel and, and preparation there. No, about four or five years ago, I sat the family down. We had something happen and and we had a family council and I just said, we need to be better. We just need to be better. And then I, I realized, okay, I can't really tell you guys, but I need to be better. And that was kind of when I started mm, a progression of, of cleansing myself, but at that time, and maybe, maybe it was a subsequent time, I told the family, I said, the prophet told us that they were raising the bar on the missionaries. And I think that was the same time they lowered the ages. And I said, we were all happy. Yay, they're raising the bar for the missionaries. But I said, what did we do to change our home? Like, we want the missionaries to have the bar raised, but they're not raising the bar if the families don't raise the bar. And how are we going to raise the bar? And, and so I just think more families need to talk about it. And, and it was slow going, you know, I had to make the changes and little by little, the rest of the family started doing it. And it was just by example, cause we all have agency, right? Mm-hmm. But, and they know, like, I really changed the movies I watched. I didn't, watch bad movies but i really changed them and now they'll say oh this was a really good show but mom you won't like it you know and and they know and um i just think that was such an important thing like not only he wasn't just telling the missionaries it's the families that's the missionary training center we need to raise the bar in our homes that's how we make it holy and and the the challenge now is now that we're not having church at home, can we still keep it sacred? 
and mm-hmm. not we. Yeah. We took it to quite the extremes at our home. Um, the end of May last year, we cut our cable cord. We just walked away from TV and it wasn't hard, you guys. <laughs> it was really easy. I have so much more time to study. And then we also took out like movies, books. We threw away Christmas and Halloween. We purged our house. And my family thinks I'm nuts. My mom and dad are on board, except for they caved back into peer pressure and and did Christmas. But it's been super amazing to just fill our time with so many other things, so much more study. We study, my daughter and I study, gosh, two or three hours a night sometimes. Mm -hmm. You just have yeah, so much really more time. All, all of the filler. I know. It, it is so consuming. And and yet, when, once you cancel it out, it, it it's like, so I don't know, coming off of, <laughs> we were talking in, in person about uh, drugs and rehab and that kind, of, that kind of stuff. But like, once you can get out of that fog of the, the stuff that you're immersed in, and then you can start actually having time to do things and using your agency properly and, and stuff. And uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's quite liberating, but uh, you know, it, it's easy to make the first leap, but then sometimes those withdrawals are, are hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I remember my family's like, well, how did you do it? And I said, well, I got rebaptized in 2018. I'd left the church for a long, long time and came back. But um, as I was coming back, I'm, I'm like one of those people that, it's all or nothing with me. So before I got baptized, I knew I had to start keeping the Sabbath day holy. Therefore, no television. And I knew my daughter was going to be moving back home. And I knew I had to be a really great example because she wasn't a member yet. And so I, I had to wean myself off of TV. So what I did was I would allow myself to watch the BYU channel only. And so that's what I did. And there's great shows. So that's how I did it, though. And then eventually I was able to just stop, you know. But it's like any great habit takes 28 days to do it if you do it every day. (laughs) Anyway, it was hard, though. We still have our TV, but and my husband likes to come home and we'll watch a little show in the evening. Um, But the last couple of weeks, he's like, can we watch Come Follow Me? I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) And turning off those other shows. And I don't mind watching that, you know, that's part of that compromise and you can't have too hard of boundaries, right? So you can bring others along with you, but yeah. And and it's something that we kind of like to do together. And like I said, we're kind of discriminating in what we watch, but it's interesting that he's, now saying let's watch another episode of come follow me like yes good Mm -hmm. (laughs) one of the uh, sections that i studied recently was uh, dnc 84 and so when i thought about this ordinances of course you can't have the temple without the priesthood right you gotta have the power and and the authority and all that and then as as you read more and more about the the uh, 84, you realize what President 
Nelson is saying that the priesthood isn't just for the brethren, also for the women, that they hold the power and the authority of the priesthood. And then this is, uh, and that's really in the last, oh my goodness, last two or three years, and the you know prophet very rarely repeats himself, but twice now has repeated the fact for the women to learn and study section D and T, eighty four in the oath and the covenant. And then I want to read what Elder Talmud said. He said, referring to the temple and the covenants we make, he said, in the glorified state that blesses us hereafter, husband and wife will minister in their respective stations seeing and understanding alike and cooperating to the full in the government of their family kingdom, which is kind of an interesting phrase, family kingdom, right? Yeah. And then shall woman reign by divine right, a queen in the resplendent realm of a glorified state, even as exalted man shall stand priests and kings unto the most high God, mortal eye cannot see nor mind comprehend the beauty, glory, and majesty of a righteous woman made perfect in the celestial kingdom. And I thought, oh my goodness, isn't that interesting how as a church we're growing and really starting to, to understand that, you know, the, the, the priesthood is, is a power for all of us and, and that all of us have the ability, man and woman, to, uh, to, have the power and authority. And I can talk a little bit longer, but I won't. Um, but I just found that that was really interesting that it's now in these last. Oh, all of a sudden you muted yourself. Sorry, that when go. all heck is breaking loose, that uh, the prophet is focusing on this even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And um... I can't remember where in Avraham stuff I was reading this week. Uh, I was listening to something and uh, he talked about the fact that, um, I don't know, I think it's like three weeks from now. I'm kind of doing my homework ahead of time because of education week, but um, that when Isaiah prophesies that when women finally understand their full potential and role within the church, that's when things start speeding up and amplifying. Uh, 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 I can't remember, like a hundredfold or something like that. Uh, I can't remember the actual words. But anyway, um, hopefully I'll, I'll get that again and find a better quote for you. But um, uh, it's interesting what Avraham uh, commentates on, on that aspect of it and how we're starting to see that, especially with President Nelson's uh, challenges and and talks that he's given since being a prophet there i think it kind of started a little bit before wasn't it sister mm -hmm. beck that gave a talk and she said we oh, need yes. more women we need more women that are and she Others, listed, you know. yeah listed all of these things and then um there was another talk i was thinking of and then um i can't remember what it is it just escaped me and then and then president nelson asked Oh, I know what it was. It wasn't a talk. Then the change in the temple of the mm -hmm. unveiling, then reading 84, it's almost like women are coming into their own now. Oh, and that's what it was. It was the talk when President Nelson said, if we lose our women, we lose the world. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. yeah. And I think it's almost like, okay, women, now it's your turn. Stand up and you have this power and we need to unleash this power that has mm-hmm. been oppressed, suppressed, lost. You know, it's been suppressed. And so women didn't know they had it. And it's like, yeah. okay, now it's your time. Let's step forward. And it's, I think it's been kind of building to this crescendo for a few few years. I think we're the secret weapon that they just been saving. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to, that's what always impresses me. I'm just like, we've always had this power and they had to kind of keep it secret from Satan so that we could get him at the end. (laughs) That's what my sister Sasha says. She goes, you always save your best weapon for last and you keep it. And he, she goes in, you know, she has one daughter and three sons and she tells her daughter, we're the superheroes. <laughs> truth, truth, what's, truth. what's really interesting is, is that in the early days of the church, women actually gave blessings and I don't yes. mean just blessings, but they gave blessings with oil. Right. And we don't talk about that very much. What Elder Irene said in 2018, I'll quote, he said that nurturing women are to be the priest, are to be the principal gospel teachers in the home. And it's interesting, the emphasis, and I do believe it's crescendoing, and I do believe that there is, there is a, this is my own personal opinion, but you know, the church came out and said, well, we're not going to have priesthood or relief society more general conference, right? And then they came back and said, uh, never mind, uh, we're going to have that. And I thought after reading A and DNC 84, how that tied in perfectly about teaching both the men and the women in a special session uh, just for them together, which is what's going to happen from now on. And I can't help but to think that that's going to be about priesthood power and other things like that. Mm-hmm. When we had our family Zoom meeting and we talked about DNC 84, our daughter, only daughter is 21. And we brought that up and that women used to give priest uh, blessings. They used to anoint with oil, not through the Melchizedek priesthood. And that this was a thing. And she's like, wait, what? Are we going to do that again? I go, I don't know. President Nelson told us we have to learn things that only the Lord can teach us. I don't know. But I know I know there were women that were still giving priesthood blessings in the sixties. And I'm, I would venture to guess there's still women doing it today. Yeah, for sure. I'll read you another quote by president Hinckley. Um, He was once asked, uh, why is it that men are ordained to the priesthood instead of women? And he said, I don't know. President Oaks said, one of the biggest problems we have in the church is giving answers to questions that God has not revealed. And then I listened to some other things about, you know, what's going on. Do we believe people can go back and forth between the degrees, right? The kingdoms, celestial, terrestrial. And you've got prophets on both sides of the fence uh, saying yes or no. And it comes out to being, you know, some things the Lord, and then finally, the first presidency came out uh, and said, we don't know. And then it's interesting because, you know, you, you just have to have faith. 
and get your own personal revelation and then be open enough that in the next world, if something isn't the way you thought it was, that you know that it's okay and that it's going to be it's going to be right mm -hmm. yeah for sure um and for the prophet just to come out and say okay women you can start giving blessings i don't think that's what it's supposed to be i think it's supposed to be women are moved upon to do that because mm -hmm. not all women are ready to do that or in a position spiritually to do that and so the lord will whisper when the time is right Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting to read uh, like Margaret Barker's works on the Josian reforms and the Holy Mother wisdom in the tabernacle. And uh, when that's removed and her uh, opinions of that going forward in um, future days when uh, the restoration of all things, uh, that's some interesting side note topic stuff if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, we went kind of overtime, but um, it's been a great discussion. Lots of new things to, to think about. I'm really going to have to go study about boundaries now and, and looking at those things as they're, they're jumping out. Um, so just hey, to remind Cameron, you, could I say one thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was studying about the priesthood stuff, they, in the beginning, when the women were giving all those blessings, the only reason the prophet said not to is because they were just doing it and not needing the men. Like they would just give blessing. They were giving blessings all the time. And they kind of, he kind of said, we'll leave that to the men. I think it was just because we kind of would just take over and do it all ourselves. <laughs> like, I think it made the men step up and take their place as leaders. And it wouldn't have been the same had the women just kept doing it. Mm -hmm. Does that does that make sense? Uh, yeah, for sure. Because I mean, women are always going to be more go-getters than, than men typically, right? Yeah, <laughs> we would just make a casserole and just go take everybody a casserole and give them a blessing, you know? Just yeah. like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. There was something else that popped in my head, but I can't remember what it was along that same line. Anyway, um, just a reminder, next week we are shifting our time uh, ahead two hours. I'm going to be at Education Week, so it's going to be in between a couple of my classes. So 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time next week. Um, I'll send out a, a text reminder uh, as well. I forgot to do that today. Whoops. Um, and then uh, gearing up for, for next semester, uh, everybody, uh, the consensus was Triumph of Zion. Uh, quite a few uh, votes, uh, put it over the edge for that one. So if you don't have that book, um, get it coming. Um, or, and if you know anybody that wants to study that with us, feel free to invite them, send them my way. Uh, we'll get them put on the list and uh, invited. Um, any other questions? Comments, concerns, anything before we head out for the day? <laughs> um, I forgot to even look at chat for quite a while, but um, Tracy put on there the um, uh, Anthony Sweat's uh, videos there, a link to those, everything. Yeah, anyway, uh, it's been real fun tonight. Thank you all for, for coming and commenting and participating. Um,
anyway we will see everyone next week have a great week y'all bye bye